Yeah, we are in John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can find them under the usher's table there in the back. Um, John chapter 2, and we last week heard about the uh, wedding at Cana, the first miracle of Jesus. But what does John call the miracles? Signs, right? The first sign, the first thing revealing to people by a miraculous act who this Jesus is. Okay? And when we left, last, last left um, John chapter 2, we had just heard that uh, Jesus and his disciples and uh, his mother went uh, to Capernaum for a few days. So now we're picking it up in chapter 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Okay, what is, why would he go to Jerusalem for the Passover? The temple is there. Why does that matter? Okay. Yeah, so what has what happens on Passover? They kill the lamb. Yeah. Well, so I like the way you say that. You put the you put the blood on your door jams or something. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Okay, so Well, maybe, maybe let's review real quickly here. Um, that's right. That's much to the disappointment of many, um, you know, confirmation age boys. They would, they would love to do things like paint blood on doorposts and bring back Yom, Yom Kippur and sprinkle blood on people. They, 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 they would think that's great. So... Uh, if, you, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16, and it, that's where we get kind of the uh, review and teaching on the observance of the Passover. So Deuteronomy chapter 16, starting at verse 1, observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover over of the Lord your God in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night and you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. Ah, there we go, right? Where has the Lord chosen to make his name dwell? At the temple, okay? In Jerusalem, which is not what it says here in Deuteronomy because... Here in Deuteronomy, the temple hadn't been built yet. <laughs> they haven't gone into the promised land and taken that over and had Jerusalem as the capital. So this was in anticipation of when that would be. But until that time, they had what? A tent. That's right. The tabernacle, right? The tabernacle, which was the movable temple, if you will, uh, where God's presence would be. 
Okay, so the tabernacle exists from the Exodus, the time of the Exodus, all the way until past the time of Samuel, right? Until the time of who built the first temple? Solomon. Solomon. Yeah. So that's a long time. Yeah, you're talking about you know, 500 years of using the tabernacle. Yeah, think about that, right? We, we just kind of, it's kind of like a blink for us in reading the Bible. Like, oh yeah, that was then. And, you know, a few years later, yeah, 500 plus, right? How long has our nation been around? <laughs> So 500 years, you're going back to, oh, the time of the Reformation, right? What buildings exist that were built at that point? I mean, in Europe, you have some. In the United States? (laughs) So it's kind of an amazing thing to think about, really. Uh, You know, obviously, they would have done repairs, you know, throughout the years and things like that, as, as we do with our buildings, Right? Uh, I wonder who the, the Mike Fink uh, you know, property guy was. So. Um, okay. So, um, verse, let's see, verse uh, 3. You shall eat no unleavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, um, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all of the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. All right. So, why unleavened bread? Well, you, there's, there's multiple reasons, right? You go back to the original intent for the unleavened bread. It was what? You got to make it in a hurry, right? There's no time to let the yeast work and to let the bread rise. And it takes time for that. I made rolls the other day for the first time in a long time because it takes a lot of time to do it. And it, there's, it's not just like a one process, right? You just, you get it, like, like I can do that with my smoker where I'll get it going and you can leave for hours on end and then come back and, and it'll be fine. You know, with, the, with bread, you have to, you know, get it all mixed and then you have to let it rise. And then after it's risen, if, you know, an hour and a half or so, then you got to, you know, punch it down. And if you're going to make rolls, you got to roll them out. And then you got to let those rise. And after that's all done, then you get to bake it. And so it, it's a, a time-intensive thing. But unleavened bread, you can make that real quick because you're not waiting for anything. Uh, so they were to eat it in haste. They were to make it in haste because they were supposed to be ready to go at a moment's notice to leave Egypt Right? They were in slavery in Egypt. God has said, I'm going to send this uh, punishment upon the land of Egypt, the death of the firstborn son in all of Egypt, unless you're in a house where the doors have the blood of the lamb on it. And in that home, you're going to eat that lamb. You're going to eat this unleavened bread. Okay? Uh, and the other, the other thing given here is... Um, that this is to be a reminder. So, um, the uh, um, seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of what? Affliction. (laughs) Would you like some of my affliction bread? 
<laughs> so, um, you know, it's to remind them of their affliction, their time of, of being slaves in Egypt. Okay? Now, with all of this, what should we also be thinking of? We get to move to the next level of the fullness of the Passover, right? The Lord's Supper. So let's start thinking through these things, right? So we were in slavery to what? Sin, death, the devil, right? And this is the uh, just punishment from God for our sin, right? There's going to be death. But the judgment of God passes over us. Why? Because of the blood of the lamb. Where's the lamb? Oh, that's Jesus. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hey, John the Baptist just told us about that, right? Earlier in chapter one, right? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so then I don't see any lamb when we get to the Lord's table here. Do you? Where's the lamb? <laughs> so the, the, the bread, right? The unleavened bread is the means by which we also are receiving his body. It is his body. Is it unleavened bread? Yep. Is it the body of Christ? Yep. The Lamb of God, right there. Okay? And so, the judgment of God is passing over us now because we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Where's the blood? I don't see any blood on the doorpost. What? I want blood, right? Where, where's the blood? The wine. the wine, right? So, does the wine represent his blood? Well, Yes, and more than that. <laughs> I think you can say it does, but it doesn't just represent, it is, right? So it is a sign. It, we can use that language to say it is a sign of his blood, but it, it actually is his blood too. I think uh, it, it's okay to use that language because scripture uses that language and our confessions, in fact, use that language from time to time. So, um, so you have the blood, you have the lamb, you have the uh, unleavened bread, you have this meal by which God is bringing about what? Deliverance. Deliverance from slavery. Okay? Um, verse 4, No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it. There you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt. Ah, so there you go. If Jesus is going to observe the Passover, he doesn't have a choice of where. It must be done in Jerusalem. Okay? And you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. In the, uh, in the morning, you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days, you shall eat unleavened bread 
And on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. This idea of yeast um, also is used to illustrate the idea of what? Sin. Right? A little, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I'm just quoting scripture here. It's teaching us about baking. Uh, no, that's not what it's trying to do. Uh, <laughs> but really, if, if, all right, do we have any bakers here? That Bread bakers, I should say. Right? How much yeast do you need? Very, very small amounts. In fact, uh, if, you're, if you're doing it right, you don't want all that much because you can use more, but it develops more flavor if you use less and you use more time. Um, so just a little bit of sin and it's going to do what? Work its way into everything. Okay. All right. So going back to uh, John chapter two. So the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem because Jesus was an observant Jew. He was under the law of Moses. So he kept the law of Moses perfectly. (laughs) Um, In the temple, verse 14, in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers there and sitting there. (coughs) Why were they selling oxen and sheep and pigeons? To be used in sacrifice. Now, is this wrong in and of itself? to have a business to help provide those things for those who might not be farmers anymore or something like that. Not in and of itself, but what had happened? Well, there was a, it was kind of the the idea that if you're going to offer a sacrifice, you have to get it from us. (laughs) Uh, These are the temple approved animals. So you have to buy these. And there's a markup when you buy from us because these are temple approved. And you can't just bring your own, you know, sacrifice to offer because it might not be good enough. So we will tell you what's good enough, but that means you have to buy it from us. Um, and money changers. Well, you can't use your normal money. You have to use the temple money. You have to go through currency exchange so that you can, uh, you can buy the things that you need to buy to do this thing. So this was a grift. <laughs> this was a way of exploiting people using God. Using the sacrificial system set up by God, which was not intended as a means by which people would enrich themselves, but what? A means of worship. A means by which sin would be continuously dealt with. Uh, There is nothing worse than exploiting people in the name of God. I mean, that's awful. Where do we see that happen today? TV. TV? Yeah. Yeah. Even more so the internet anymore, right? Yeah, te- televangelists are, are uh, somewhat antiquated almost anymore. 
Although they do still exist, and they do prey on um, primarily older folks, uh, but now you have the internet and a, way, a means by which you know, that same kind of thing continues to happen. Uh, what, what commandment deals with this? Well, what's the first commandment? What's the first commandment? Yeah, you shall have no other gods. Right, what does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. What's the second commandment? Remember, or, uh, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, right? What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not, what? Yeah, curse, swear, um, use witchcraft, lie, or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. Third commandment is, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Oh, here we go. What does this mean? We should fear and love God. So that, what's that? So that we do not despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Now, if somebody is um, misusing the name of God for financial gain, that's a breaking of the second commandment. If they are exploiting the worship practices for their own financial gain, that would be uh, a a sin against, well, I mean, all of them are first commandment issues, of course. <laughs> but second and third, right? When somebody teaches something that is false, that is misusing the word of God, the name of God. That is breaking the third commandment. That is breaking the second commandment. Uh, just because somebody has a Bible and they are holding it and they say, oh, I'm teaching from this, that doesn't mean you believe what they're saying. You don't just believe what they're saying because they have to happen to have a Bible that they're holding. In fact, what should you do? You should be even more discriminating at that point because they claim to be teaching the word of God. Don't just believe it because they have a title. Don't just believe it because they have a whole big following. Test what they say against scripture. And if it doesn't match up, you better not believe them. You better not listen to them. Don't give them the time of day. Because this is really, really important. Uh, do you think Jesus takes this lightly, this idea of misusing God's name? Uh, let's just look. Let's see how this goes for this group. Verse 15, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Yeah, Jesus meek and mild. <laughs> yeah, the wrath of God is real, isn't it? And the justice of God is real. God does not take lightly those who misuse his name, those who exploit his people. There will be, um, they, they, they will be uh, facing his judgment. Uh, by the way, was Jesus wrong in doing this? No, and that's really, really important because I've actually heard people say, well, it was wrong of Jesus to do that. 
uh, okay, time out. <laughs> You're talking about a whole different Jesus at this point. Uh, he is not sinless at that point, and we're in big trouble. <laughs> no, he was, he was very much in the right in doing this. Why? Because whose temple is it? It's his. <laughs> Who made the rules? He did. <laughs> well, let's look at, let's look what follows. Right? So Jesus does this, right? And he told those who sold the pigeons, verse 16, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. All right? So this is supposed to be a place of worship, a place where sins are forgiven, and you're seeking to make a buck. Uh, verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is cited from uh, Psalm uh, verse uh, chapter 69 verse 9 so the Jews said to him what sign do you show us for doing these things right so they don't immediately come to him and say hey that was wrong there we weren't doing anything wrong here why what are you doing you know this is like the kid that gets in trouble in school they're like yeah but you're not my mom Okay, <laughs> I'm your teacher with authority over you. It doesn't matter, okay? Uh, <laughs> so they don't, they don't say, we were in the right, Jesus. What are you doing? They say, well, what sign do you show that you have the authority to do this? All right? They're not even arguing about the basis of him having done it, but that did, did he have the authority to do it? And what did they ask for? A sign. Ah, well, we've already seen that word in John, haven't we? Jesus turned the water into wine, his first sign at Cana in Galilee. Now, do you think these folks have heard about that by now? Yeah, they have. Of course they have. So now they're asking him, well, okay, you did that cool thing over there. Now do something here. Well, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Mm-hmm. Well, this is going to be quite the sign. But it's not quite what they think. They don't hear what he's really saying. They think they understand, but they don't. So verse 20, the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up. Uh, will you raise it up in three days? All right, so they're thinking of the, the temple, right? But remember back to John chapter 1 God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the temple, Jesus himself is the temple, God with us, God dwelling with his people. Uh, it's interesting, too. This is not the first temple. This is not Solomon's temple, right? Remember, Solomon's temple gets utterly destroyed by who? Do you remember? Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar comes in, wipes it out. Uh, then they rebuild it. And then it gets wiped out again. <laughs> and this is the third one. <laughs> This is, uh, sometimes it's called Herod's 
um, temple because uh, he was the one that kind of uh, funded this and, and, and it was under his time. Um, okay, but that's what they're thinking about. They're like, well, this thing just got done, right? We've been working on this for a long time and, and you're going to knock it down and have it raised up in three days. But verse 21, but Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. Okay, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What's he talking about? The resurrection. <laughs> you're you're going to kill me. Three days later, I'll be alive. Okay. That's the sign that you get, that I have the authority to do these things. So we, we get the benefit of, we know how the story ends. <laughs> we know he does have the authority to do these things. No question about it, because he gives us that sign. And fulfills that sign. Uh, Verse 22. When therefore he was raised from the dead. His disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture. And the word that Jesus had spoken. They're like. Hey remember when Jesus said that. And we didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. Now we get it. (laughs) Uh, I think. I, I, I always think about that, like, how many things will be that way for us in the resurrection? Where we'll be like, I didn't really get that, but oh yeah, now I got it. Now I understand what you're talking about, Jesus. Um, there's going to be plenty of that. What's that? Like everything. Yeah, I like everything. <laughs> All right, uh, verse 23. Uh, now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So apparently... Not only did he say, here's the sign that you're going to get, but then he actually did go on and perform other signs, right? Do other miracles. And verse 24, uh, but on his part, Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. So all these people are like, hey, yeah, we like Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus. But they end up being like the seed that is sown on the rocky soil where the the faith springs up real quick, but there's no roots, and it dies out when the heat comes, right? How many people come to faith in Jesus, and they're all in, and then something goes wrong, and they're like, I'm out, (laughs) Uh, That's exactly what happens with many of the people that initially follow them. So when it says here that he uh, did not entrust himself to them, part of what it's indicating here is he wasn't willing to be the Messiah they wanted him to be. He was going to be the Messiah they needed him to be. He didn't entrust himself to them. In other words... um, He didn't trust their faith about him, right? His identity, he knew, was not found in what they thought about him, but was found in uh, who he is, who he is in relation to God the Father, right? Who he had been sent, uh, what he had been sent to do. So he does not entrust himself to the people because they're fickle. Because Jesus knows what is in man. Well, what is in man? 
No, that's not really what it's indicating here. It, it's, it's more so he knew that their hearts were evil. Their hearts were still sinful. He wasn't going to entrust himself to them, to what they thought of him, um, because uh, that is ever-changing. Um, so what is in the heart of man? Sin, right? So he didn't know he need, he didn't need anybody to bear witness about him uh, or, or uh, about man because he knows man. Think about all of the evil Jesus has already witnessed before his incarnation that man has accomplished. I mean, he sent a flood because of the evil of man, right? So he knows. He knows what mankind is, what mankind is like. Uh, now, this is a really in- interesting way that John leads us into John chapter 3, right? He knows, he knows all about man. <laughs> man is a mess. Okay, so then John chapter 3, we get this famous conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. Okay, so John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. All right, a Pharisee. Right? He was all about trying to keep the law as much as he possibly could. A ruler of the Jews. Right? So, very respected man. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night. Why might he come to Jesus by night? He didn't really want other people to see him. Yeah. Going to talk to Jesus. It's like... Uh, yeah, you don't want you don't want other people to find out. You've been talking to Jesus, <laughs> so he goes under the cover of darkness to hide because he is afraid of others. So this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. All right, what does he call him? What does rabbi mean? Teacher. Yeah. Now, is that wrong? No. Is it real complete, though? Because <laughs> that could be used for a whole host of people, right? You're a rabbi. Other guys are rabbis. What do you say about this? Right? As if his opinion is one of many. So, we know that you're a teacher come from God. You do these amazing miracles, right? God's clearly with you. He doesn't seem to understand, well, no, not, not just that God is with me, like I am God. <laughs> That's, he doesn't get this yet, right? So verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? All right, so Jesus is having this conversation about these important spiritual matters, and Nicodemus is like, well, how's that work? How can I climb back into mom? That's not going to happen, right? Uh, Clearly, he doesn't get it. He's not understanding what Jesus is saying. Unless one is born again. Uh, By the way, this can also be translated born from above. Both are good, accurate translations. Um, unless 
And, and if you have your, your ESV, it has that in the footnote. Um, or born from above, the Greek is purposely ambiguous and can mean both again and from above. Because what happens in baptism? Both. <laughs> okay. Jesus answered, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see, or he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. All right, so Jesus knows what man is like, and what man is like is in need of being born again, right? So uh, Jesus says, uh, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. How's that happen? Uh, you have to be born of water in the Spirit. Well, we know exactly what Jesus is talking about, don't we? What's he talking about? Baptism. Baptism. Now, there's, there's others that will come to this verse and they'll say, see, you have to be born of water and then later the Spirit. Like, they, they will say, water birth is like when you're born from your mom because the water breaks and that comes out. Like, you are working way too hard to deny infant baptism here. <laughs> That's not at all what this is indicating. Uh, water and the spirit, not separate, one thing, right? That's, that's what baptism is, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized and you will be saved, right? Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, so Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about baptism. And sometimes what Jesus teaches doesn't kind of, you don't get the full understanding of it until later. Um, I, I don't think there's any accident uh, in the way that this is all laid out that uh, you get some of these uh, sacramental teachings that the, the details don't get filled in until later on. Um, in um, Where is that? Uh, oh. Mm, never mind. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, but Jesus, Jesus uh, does this where he will teach, and then later on you're going to understand the fullness. You're going to get this in John chapter 6, where he's going to teach things that we will know to be true of the Lord's Supper, but they won't really understand them until later on. Um, plus, it has to be revealed by the Holy Spirit. All right, so how can you be born again? Well, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. Who has to do the the uh, second birth for you. God does. All right? You, how much participation did you have in being born the first time? You were a passive um, participant, weren't you? 
your mom did all the work. <laughs> well, who does all the work in your second birth? God does. Right? This is we have seen this consistently throughout the Gospel of John. You don't choose. He does the choosing. He does the saving. He does the work. Okay. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into the heaven into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. All right. I'm already out of time, I think, for today. We're going to come back to this next time because there's a lot to unpack in, uh, in this section. So um, we'll stop there. We'll pick it up next time in John chapter 3 with the conversation happening with Nicodemus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to spend time in your word, to be reminded uh, that Jesus is the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb who has shed his blood for us uh, and continues to uh, feed us with his body and blood in Holy Communion. We thank you that it serves to remind us of what Jesus has done for us, but more than that, to deliver to us the saving work of Jesus. We ask that uh, as we remember our baptism, we would remember that you have uh, caused us to be born again of water and the Spirit. You have given us new birth uh, so that we can live from that identity, knowing that we are your dearly loved children, that everlasting life is ours through Jesus, and that we would continuously set our eyes on him, living for him in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.